Welcome everybody to all of our campuses meeting throughout the Twin Cities today. Way to make it to church, way to go. I want to welcome those of you also who are watching online. We do consider you to be a part of our congregation. Always glad to have you join us as well. Wherever you might be around the country and world, glad you could dial in as well. This is the final message in our series called Because You Prayed. But I hope it's the beginning of a movement of prayer in our church that just continues to build and build. I hope that if you've never prayed before, you'll start. I hope that if you've prayed the same prayers over and over, you'll get out of that rut and start praying prayers that are very bold and very specific because if we start praying like that, I think God is going to respond. I think God will restore marriages, repair relationships, heal illnesses, break addictions, and redeem people we thought were off the grid and hopeless. In fact, if you started praying for something very boldly and specifically the past three weeks, and God has already answered one of those prayers, I'd love to hear about it. So send me an email along with any hunting pictures, and I promise that I won't read those emails. But today I'm talking about persistence because I think sometimes we give up way too easily. I know I do. We think nothing's happening, my prayers aren't working, so we give up. And I want to kick this off. I've spoken frequently about our dog, Blue, who's got so much energy, we, we simply can't wear him out. Our street gets a lot of walkers and runners with their dogs, and it doesn't matter who it is. Blue longs for them to come into our yard to play with him, but the electric fence prevents him from leaving the yard. And it's funny because he'll spot a person or a dog three blocks down the street, and he'll run right up to the line, wagging his tail. Then he'll sit right down like a statue and wait for this person or dog to come by, and he's hoping that they'll come into our yard and play, but nobody ever does. Nobody ever crosses over the line, and you think that he would give up, but he doesn't. He runs up to that line every single day, four or five times a day, only to face rejection every single time. Well, about a month ago, a new dog whose name is Sheila, sounds like somebody's aunt, but new dog Sheila walked by on a leash with her owner, and Sheila's a rescue dog who's kind of thin and scrawny, but evidently she's a real looker to Blue because he couldn't take his eyes off her. I was out in the yard that day, and the owner told me that Sheila has boundless energy as well. He said, we can't wear this dog out. And I said, well, how about if you let Sheila into our yard? We'll let him loose and see what happens. And so he unleashed her, and they took off like a bullet side by side down over our back hill and disappeared. Rick and I followed and watched them do figure eights, nipping at each other's ears in full stride. Several times, Sheila put on the brakes and put a move on Blue, who spun past her and did a full body roll into the, into the grass. They ran and ran, and then he tried to get frisky with her. And I said, Blue, what's wrong with you? And I said, Rick, sorry about that. He's a bad sinner. And, but Sheila wheeled around and snapped at him and, and let him know, you know, back off. And that was a good lesson for him. Then they collapsed in the shade and just lay side by side. It was the cutest, tenderest thing I've seen with my dog. And then Sheila would nip his ears and they'd be off again, running like crazy. Sheila's come over to our house to see Blue half a dozen times. And he's been down to see her. I think it's turned into something. <laughs> he, he, actually, he actually knows her name and gets all perky when we say, is Sheila coming? Oh, yeah. She gets all wild. <laughs> And my point is, persistence pays. It pays. For two years, our dog stood on that line and nothing happened. But then, then came Sheila. 
and his prayers were answered. And Rick and his wife Elizabeth are actually becoming friends with us, and we think that could lead to something as well. Today I want to ask you a question. How persistent, how persistent are you in your prayers? There's a great story, familiar story in Joshua 5 through 6, one of the most dramatic events in the entire Bible. Because for 40 years, Moses had led the Israelites, 600,000 Jews, through a desert to a land that God had promised them in Jerusalem. But Moses had reached the end of his life. And so before he died, he told Joshua to lead the people across the Jordan River into the promised land. And you need to understand, for 40 years, these people were without a home. For 40 years, God had kept them alive by sending this flaky-type bread called manna from the sky every single day. And what God wanted to know is would Joshua continue to trust him like Moses did? And so we pick up the story in Joshua 1-2. God says this, Now that my servant Moses is dead, you, Joshua, must lead the people across the Jordan River into the land I am giving you. I promise you, that everywhere you go will be on land, here's the key phrase, that I've already given to you. It's a promise. It's a done deal. God promised that the land is already theirs. Problem is the Jordan River is raging. It's at flood stage. It's impassable. And again, what God wants to know is will Joshua trust him? Joshua does. He takes this incredible, insane step into this raging river and two really cool things happen all at once. As soon as their feet touch the water's edge, the Bible says the water upstream stopped flowing and the manna from heaven stopped falling. Miracles. The river stopped flowing and the manna stopped falling. The manna kept them alive for 40 years, but they were sick of it, tired of this manna. In fact, the word manna means, what is it? Sick of this stuff, what is it? And when they crossed the river, God provided them an abundance of new fruit and vegetables and grain and meat. And I just want to pause here and just say this. Sometimes God gives you a promise, but he wants you to take a step. Take a step. Sometimes God says, look, the land is yours, the promise is yours, but you got to take a step first into a scary river that seems impassable. Friends, sometimes God may say to you, I am going to heal your marriage, but I want you to first take a scary step and call a counselor. Do your part. Maybe God will say, I'm going I'm to restore your financial problem. I'm going to make that promise, but you got to take a step you got to cut some spending and start giving and trusting me in that. I'm going to give you a lifelong mate maybe for some of you who are single and you desire that. But God might be saying to you, you first got to address your issues of anger and selfishness before I bring this promise into your life. I just want to raise a question. Is there an area in your life where God might be asking you to take a step of action? God wants to do something in your life, but maybe God wants to have you take a step first. So Joshua does. He takes the step into this river. It stops flowing. The manna stops falling. But then immediately they encounter another huge problem. They enter the land. Everything seems to be good. But then Jericho, the city of Jericho, is standing in their way, their enemy. 
And you would think that that would not happen. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've thought, God, I've trusted you. I've taken the step you've asked me to take. So why is it still so hard? Why am I still having conflicts? Why am I still, why do I still have so many problems at work or at home, wherever it might be? Since you've given me a promise, why do I now have to face this huge problem? Jericho. And I think the answer is because trusting God isn't just for a day. Trusting God is for every day. And what God wants to know is, will you keep trusting and obeying me no matter what? No matter how many problems you face, no matter how long it takes, will you keep trusting me? Not just for a day, but every single day. So they come to Jericho, and Jericho is fortified by double walls, very high, defended by an experienced military. And it says in Joshua 5, 6, that because the Israelites had wandered around the desert for 40 years, all their experienced fighting men had died off. Only their sons were left. And they had no experience. They'd never been trained in battle. Look what happens next in the text. God said to Joshua, I have delivered Jericho into your hands. They haven't even done anything yet. But God says, I've delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting men. It's going to happen. But then God says, I'm going to ask you to do something very unconventional. It may even seem to you to be a little foolish. Joshua, here's what I want you to do. I want you to march around the city once with all your armed men all three of them, because they had all died off. It's just the boys that are left. But he says, do this for six days. Just walk around the city. On the seventh day, <laughs> march around the city seven times, 13 all together, with the priests blowing their trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast, have all the people give a loud shout, then the city wall will collapse, and you'll overtake it. I mean, really? This is, your, this is your military strategy. Walk around the wall 13 times and then shout. See, I think what God is asking here is, are we willing to obey him even when it feels a little foolish? Are we willing to obey him when everybody's going to be at the party, but we know that that's a party we shouldn't be at and we'd be the only ones? Are we willing to be a little foolish? And walk away? Are we willing to be a little foolish and challenge someone's lifestyle when that would be a little awkward and maybe a little foolish looking? But we know it's good that we do that. Are we willing to be a little foolish when all our college classmates and roommates are sleeping in? Church isn't even on the radar. But are you willing to stand up? Make time for church. Look a little foolish. Will you obey God even when it feels a little foolish at your workplace or at your school place? So every day for seven days, the people walk around the wall without saying, and what's so critical to this story is that the people had no clue about God's seven-day plan. Only Joshua knew. The Bible says that Joshua simply ordered the people to get up, march around the city, then return to camp. That's it. Next day, same thing. Get up, march around the city. Train. I can imagine about day three, the people start thinking, what are we doing? This is so stupid. 
Because only Joshua knew that on day seven, after 13 times around the city, that Jericho would fall and Jericho would be defeated. I want you to see the text. It says, on the seventh day, they got up at daybreak and marched around the city as they did before, but this time. They went around the city seven times. The seventh time around, the priests sounded the long blast on their horns, and Joshua commanded the people to shout. And suddenly the walls of Jericho collapsed, and the Israelites charged straight into the city. And as I thought about this passage this this past week, I see two reasons for all of us, two reasons why sometimes I think our prayers can fall short. And the first one is this, we give up on day six. We give up too soon. Remember in this story, God said, I've delivered Jericho's into your hands. It's yours. The battle's already won. All they had to do was keep circling the city, keep walking, keep praying every day for seven days, 13 times around. Here's my question. What if they stopped on day six? What if on day four or five they said, you know, I'm tired of this. This is so stupid. God's not answering. What if they quit at six? I'm telling you, this is my biggest error when it comes to praying. I quit at six. I pray for something, nothing changes, and so I give up and I think either my prayers aren't working or God doesn't care. But what if God wanted me to keep praying for seven days or seven weeks or seven years? What if he wanted me to be more like my dog and stand on the line for two years praying for a Sheila to come? What if God just wanted to test my faith or see if I'd be willing to be foolish enough to try something for him? What if God just wanted me to stand on the line one more day? None of us knows if it's God's plan to answer our prayer on day one, two, three, or seven, or 37. What God wants to know, I think, is will you trust him on day three when there's no answer in sight? Will you trust him on day six or year six, when you've prayed the same prayers over and over and nothing seems to be happening and you're weary of it? Will you trust God when the answer you're receiving isn't the answer you necessarily wanted, but you're going to trust God that that's the answer he has for you? And will you trust that what God's building into you during the time of silence is as important as an answer to prayer? I'm telling you, when I'm in a season of prayer and I'm seeking God, that's when my faith deepens and my dependence on God increases. God does all kinds of great things when I need to be quiet and wait on him. The biggest reason my prayers fall short is I stop at six. When I was a young pastor in Fallen, Wisconsin, I got invited to go ice fishing with John Ingalls, who was a young doctor and whose father-in-law lived on Devil's Lake near Webster, Wisconsin. John said, Bob, come on out. We'll set up a bunch of tip-ups, and we'll watch from my father-in-law's house with binoculars, and we'll play ping-pong and watch TV and eat snacks, have a great time. He says, the lake's full of northerns and walleyes. It'll be fun. So we did that. We set up a bunch of tip-ups, went in to play ping-pong and eat snacks. First flag went up, threw on my coat, ran out 300 yards, and landed the first fish, dinky little northern. Went back in, waited for the next flag. During the next three hours, we took turns, running out and back, 300 yards, 17 times, for 17 little, dinky, worthless northerns. 
And it was okay. But by noon, I'd had enough. Football was on TV. We were dozing off in the easy chairs. John looked out the window one more time and said, hey, another flag's up. I said, oh? He said, it's your turn. I said, you can get it. He said, I don't want to get it. I said, maybe your father-in-law will get it. He says, no, he's not even home. I said, all right. Threw on my coat, ran 300 yards out, grabbed the tip up, and this, this fish had weight. And honest truth, on tip up number 18, the last one of the day, after 17 worthless northerns on a bright sunny day when walleyes never bite, number 18 was a six-pound walleye. I was, oh, man, made my week. And some of you are thinking, you know, does God really care about that? Yes, he does. I pray for good fishing all the time. Come on. Actually, I don't know if God cares about that. But what I do know is that after 17 worthless northerns, when our faith was gone and we wanted to quit, what made the difference was just persistence. And the question is, when your faith is gone and you want to quit, will you run out to the flag just one more time? Will you trust God just one more time? One more day, one more prayer. Sometimes I'm telling you, it's not how much faith you have. It's how persistent you are. In fact, one time Jesus was telling a story about a man and some unexpected guests arrived, arrived late at night, and he was out of food. So he ran to a friend's house, and he knocked on the guy's door. Of course, the door was shut. Everybody was in bed. So the guy yells from bed, hey, we're in bed. Go home. Quit bothering us. But the guy just kept knocking and asking for food to feed his guests. And so in Luke 11, Jesus said this. He said, I tell you, here's the point. Even though he will not get up and give him food because he's his friend, <laughs> But because of his persistence, he will get up and give him whatever he wants. In other words, just stand on the guy's porch and keep knocking so he can't go back to sleep. Eventually, he'll get up. Not because he likes you, but because sometimes it's just sheer persistence. And Jesus' whole point is, look, don't give up. Keep knocking. Keep pursuing God. Keep trusting. Because sometimes, I'm telling you, it's not how much faith you have. It's how persistent you are. I wonder how many prayers go unanswered because people quit at day six. How many miracles don't happen? How many relationships fall apart? How many people go unreached because somebody quit at six? The reason we have to keep praying and keep trusting is because you never know when it's day seven, you never know. Some of you are praying for a healing. Don't quit at six. Some of you are praying for a wayward son or daughter. Don't stop at six. Some of you are praying for a relational or financial breakthrough. And what God wants to know is, will you trust me one more time and not quit at six? The biggest reason I'm telling you my prayers fall short is I quit. I quit. God said, I've already given you the promise. But don't you dare quit at six. Don't you quit. Second reason I think sometimes prayers go unanswered is we put up with sin. We quit at six and we put up with sin. So once a day for six days, Joshua leads the people in a silent prayer walk around the city. 
And on the seventh day, God shows up, the walls collapse, and the land was theirs. The fall of Jericho was a miracle. Could have been an earthquake. We don't know what it was. But in verse 18, God gives a very stern warning. And the stern warning is this, but keep away, God says, as you enter Jericho, keep away from the sacred things so that you won't bring about your own destruction. All the articles of silver, gold, and bronze are sacred to the Lord and must go into his treasury. But an Israelite named Achan snuck in and stolen some of those things. So the Lord's anger burned against the whole nation. Fast forward a few months later, the Israelites faced another city they had to defeat. But because Achan had stolen some of the sacred things, God had removed his protection. And the Israelites were soundly defeated. The Bible says Joshua just tore his clothes in anguish. He fell face down to the ground and cried out to God in despair. And in verse 10, look what it says. God said to Joshua, get up off the ground, Joshua. Get up off the ground, Israel has sinned. This is the reason. They have taken some of the sacred things. They have stolen and lied. You will never defeat your enemies. Here's the key phrase. Until you remove these hidden sins. Friends, sometimes our prayers go unanswered. Because we're carrying a hidden sin. We're, we're, we're putting up with misconduct in our lives. And I just want to raise a question. Anybody here hiding or holding on to a secret sin? Because Psalm 66 says, if I had not confessed the sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. The reason some of us don't get our prayers answered is because we are entertaining, we are holding on to, we are living a sin, and it's blocking us. Achan's sin, by the way, affected the entire nation. Isn't this true? One person's sin can affect a whole family. Isn't that true? One person's sin can affect a whole church. One person's sin can affect a whole company or business or an entire nation. I meet people all the time who wonder why God's not blessing their marriage, their family, their career, their life. But when I dig into it a little bit, oftentimes I find layer after layer of misconduct. I dig it a little bit, and I hear of sins of dishonesty, greed, anger, and arrogance. Oftentimes I find layers of debt, misspending, sexual misconduct all over the place, addictions, and I'm telling you, it just offends God. It offends them. And God would tell you, look, I want to work in your life. I want to do a new work in your life, but you got to clean it up. you got to confess. If you want to see the power of prayer work in your life, you got to remove the sin. A couple of weeks ago, I called my friend Scott. And I asked him to drive his tractor over to my house to remove a gigantic stump that's been sitting in my yard for all summer. You know, a backhoe had lifted it out and just left it there, and it's an enormous stump. 
roots that just go out all over the place and packed in with clay and just unmovable. So Scott drove over with his front-end loader tractor, and after an hour of trying to secure this stump into the loader, it wouldn't even fit into it, so he had to strap it with a come-along and some heavy-duty straps. Finally, we were able to secure it, and his front-end loader was just barely able to lift it off the ground. The plan was to take it to my neighbor's house <coughs> because he has a gravel road that goes down over his steep embankment, and then we would dump it in my backwoods. Scott's biggest fear was that the weight of the stump would cause his tractor to flip over frontwards and that, you know, he would, you know, die. <laughs> and my biggest fear was that he'd bang into my neighbor's boat, rip off his back deck with the front end loader, and then flip over the tractor and, you know, die. I'm telling you, have you ever done something so stupid? And all, you're, all the while you're doing it, you're saying to yourself, this is so, so stupid. We should not be doing this. Well, this is one of those times. And, and somehow, he, somehow he cleared the boat. He had to maneuver around their back driveway. It kind of goes behind their house and just, just barely missed their deck. But then the hill. He stopped the tractor. He got off. We both looked at it. And he said, Bob, I'm, I'm concerned that the weight of this stump is going to flip my tractor over. And I said, yeah, I mean, that's a real problem. But Scott's heart is bigger than his sensibility sometimes. So he hopped back on, he put it in gear, and went down the hill. I've never been so scared. He skidded in first gear all the way down, nearly flipped it over the bank, finally landed safely at the bottom, and we both said... That's the dumbest thing we've ever done. The dumbest thing. And I tell you that because my point is this. If that tractor had flipped, that wouldn't have been God's fault. That'd be our fault. I mean, pray all you want. But if you do stupid stuff like that, bad things are going to happen. If you overspend and overdrink, Bad stuff's going to happen, no matter how much you pray. If you're dishonest, if you're angry a lot, if you're hurtful with your language, bad stuff's going to happen, no matter how much you pray. The biggest reasons my prayers fall short, I give up at six, and I put up with sin. Which is why part of our prayers, friends, almost always has to include confession. God, I messed up. Forgive me. David said, if I had not confessed my sins, my prayers would go unanswered. I want to end this series with a picture of our loving God who invites all of us to come to him in prayer. I was reading Max Licato, great author. His daughter, Jenna, was 13 when she just flubbed her piano recital in front of a large crowd auditorium. Max writes these words. Jenna backed up a few measures, tried again, no luck. She couldn't remember the next part. The silence in the auditorium was painful. I whispered, come on, honey, you can do it. Don't give up. Finally, Jenna remembered the part, but the damage was done. She stood up from the piano, chin quivering, 
She curtsied. The audience gave a sympathetic applause, and then she hurried off stage. Her mom and I left our seats, and we met her backstage, and the moment I saw her, she threw her arms around me. She buried her face in my shirt, and all she could say was, Oh, Daddy. Oh, Daddy. Max says that's all it took. At that moment, I would have given her the moon. Oh, Daddy. I messed up. I committed a sin. I didn't do what you told me I should do. Oh, Daddy. I'm telling you, if you come to the Father and just confess, he'll give you the moon. He will. Our God knows every single one of you. He knows you by name. He knows the issues that are going on in your life. He knows the sin that we struggle with. He knows we're all flawed. And so he invites us to come to him. And all you got to say is, oh, daddy. Look what Jesus says, final verse. If you who are flawed, evil, flawed, sinful, that's us, know how to give good gifts to your kids, how much more? How much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask? So friends, don't give up at six. And don't put up with sin. And God, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, he'll give you the moon. Hey, next week is going to be an amazing weekend We've invited a special guest to come speak. Kyle Eidelman is speaking pastor at Southeast Christian in Louisville, Kentucky. He's one of our nation's best speakers. He's written a New York Times bestseller, not a fan. He's written three other books. He's going to be here. He doesn't speak outside of his church a lot, but he's going to be here. And so at all six campuses, man, this is a weekend you're not going to want to miss. I invite you now to stand for closing prayer, and we'll be on our way. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that you never give up on us. I screwed up so often, Lord, and you never give up on me. I can't believe it. But I've given up on you so many times. And so I just stand before all these folks and I just ask for your own, my own forgiveness. God, you know I need your forgiveness every single day because I sin every single day. But Father, you're such a loving and kind and patient God, and I love you for that. So, Daddy, we all stand before you and just ask that you forgive us one more time. Put us back on the path. Wrap your arms around us and help us live the rest of this day in honor of you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for coming out, everybody.